This is Dennis Ramondi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, our podcast and YouTube channel, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. If you go to YouTube and type in Spirit Matters Talk, those three words, you'll get our YouTube channel. So you'll be able to not only listen to us, but see us. I want to thank everybody out there that's contributed to help keep us on the air. Uh, If anybody's interested in doing that, go to spiritmatstalk.com and all the information will be there. Uh, Our archives now uh, probably have uh, well over 300 uh, interviews in there, some great people and another great person today, another great interview, uh, author, uh, Dr. John Culkin. He is an internationally recognized artist with a lifetime of experience pursuing his passions while simultaneously maintaining a healthy balance between his personal life and professional life. He is also, I understand, a medical doctor, as well as a photographer, so a man of many talents. Uh, went through, uh, the it's about 200 photos in his new book, uh, Inner Harmony. Fantastic. Most in black and white, but really, for, for somebody that loves photography, that's not particularly good myself. It just amazes <laughs> me what people can capture what they capture. Uh, and uh, recently, there's a, a international photography award uh, presentations that uh, presentations that are given equivalent of like the Emmys or uh, major awards in other uh, uh, fields of media. And uh, his book came out second as a documentary. I should also mention that our guest today has spent significant time with the Dalai Lama and we'll be talking to him about that as well. So thank you so very much for taking the time to come on today. We're, we're excited for this interview. Phil. Yes, we gave you a great uh, introduction, but never mentioned your name. We are talking to John Colkin. John Colkin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we should add that the Dalai, With a K. Lama, the Dalai Lama wrote the foreword to John's book, which is uh, not, well, it's not just photographs. There's a lot of commentary, but also uh, focuses on Buddhist practitioners throughout Asia. Uh, just an exquisite book of photos. John, please tell us, you have a unique background. You're a medical doctor and a photographer. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your own spiritual background, what drew you to your interest in Buddhism and this book. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you both for uh, having me uh, on your podcast. Um, it's, It's really an honor and a pleasure to be with both of you today. Um, As far as my spiritual path, I would say it's been uh, somewhat typical and in other ways atypical. Um, I grew up in Judaism, a conservative uh, synagogue, um, and kind of gravitated to more reform. Um, That being said, um, about 23 years ago, because of my humanitarian work through health volunteers overseas, um, a lot of the times I was in Asia. So my first trip was to Vietnam. And when I go, I'm immersed for an extended period of time in a local community and with a uh, embedded into a hospital that's a teaching hospital. And that was really my first exposure unknowingly uh, to Buddhism. And uh, since then have been back to Asia uh, 21 times in 23 years mostly through my medical work. And through that immersive process have uh, gained a certain respect 
for just Eastern approaches in general to how we can live a healthier, less stressful, more balanced life. Um, and part of that has been uh, related to Buddhist practices. Um, but when I've been with His Holiness and we've only been together a few times, um, uh, he emphasizes how important it is for everyone to find their own spiritual path. And there's not just one way to go. So when I'm asked, are you a Buddhist? I said, well, and not in a, in a negative way. Well, what do you mean? What's your definition? So for me, it's more a matter of um, pulling out nuggets from whatever spiritual faith traditions and also from atheists about how to view um, this, uh, this existence that we have and how to navigate it through it in a healthy way. So quantum physics as an example is not really necessarily spiritual, but it also tends to um, reinforce some of what a Buddhist teaching uh, is all about and also Judaism for that matter, particularly for, with uh, the Kabbalah uh, approach. So I would say that my spiritual background is kind of multi-layered. And when I first presented a, an earlier self-published version of this book that we've been talking about, here's, here's the book. Everyone. Yes, hold it up. Inner Harmony, uh, Living in Balance with forwards by not only His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, but also the Queen Mother of Bhutan. Um, but my initial attempt at this book and one that I gave uh, to His Holiness as a gift when I had my first private audience with him was titled Inner Harmony, Learning from the Buddhist Spirit. And he calls me Dr. John and he says, no, 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 Dr. John, you can't call it that. Everybody's gonna think you're gonna try to convert him to Buddhism, which was never my intention. My intention was just what are some fundamental properties, some foundational principles that are central, whether you're in the East or the West or anywhere in between, for living a less stressful, more balanced life. Mm -hmm. So the book, as an example, has 18 chapters. And rather than it being of specific geographic locations, it's about specific principles that are central to living a balanced life. So the images that come from 10 different countries that I've been honored to be in on multiple occasions, each chapter is about a concept such as compassion for the environment or the ability to focus and calm the mind or wisdom. So each of the chapters is related to that. And so my quote, spiritual path is more a matter of as both a physician and as an artist, all my work has to do with how do we find uh, well-being. So there's a synergy and a dovetailing between my medical work and my work as an artist because all my bodies of work, not just the Inner Harmony series, have always had some underlying theme related to well-being. Let so, me ask you a, a, a follow-up question on that. Um, do you consider um, your photography an actual um, uh, spiritual practice uh, in and of itself either from whether it be from a Jewish tradition or, or a Buddhist tradition, uh, that the actual process itself is one you can consider a spiritual exercise. And the uh, second part of my question would be, have you incorporated this search for balance into your uh, medical practice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great questions. I, I really appreciate that, Dennis. So first of all, as far as spiritual practice, and I know uh, your particular blog 
is, uh, a podcast is Spirit Matters. I've never really put it in that context of spirit. Um, what I would say though, and this gets back to reincarnation and the whole concepts of Buddhism about the consciousness, that our true being is the consciousness and not the body that we happen to be inhabiting, is that if you consider as part of the definition of, of the spirit uh, or spirituality, the uh, conscious or our, um, our intuition and our conscience and whatnot, that's all part of what I do, regardless of whether it's in the medical field or whether it's in the photography field. So I don't, and I also, I don't really separate out the mind from the heart. Um, as you know, in, in throughout Asia, they don't typically have a separate term for mind and heart. Sita is the Sanskrit for the heart mind. And when his holiness would first talk to me about heart mind, I didn't know what he was talking about till I did, I got a little explanation and more, and did a little bit more research on it. As far as my medical practice is concerned, it's always part of how I approach my practice and my work with patients. And because I wanna look at them as human beings, just like me and his holiness is adamant about, he's just a simple monk in robes like everyone else. So as an example, I never refer to myself as a surgeon. Um, I am skilled if necessary, and if someone needs it, to do surgery that might involve anything from the tip of the finger to just above the elbow, but that's not how I perceive myself. I'm much more holistic in my approach. I'm a physician there to help people. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that may simply require a pat on the back, everything's okay, or here's a little bit of exercise to do, or whatever it might be. So this whole concept of what's my role and what, what is my spiritual role, it's to help others. Always though balanced with compassion for self. So that's one of the real challenges that many people in the medical field run into, which contributes to so much burnout um, and uh, dissatisfaction is the fact that they've not learned the, the skill sets for um, being able to effectively navigate caring for others while simultaneously caring for self. Uh, John, um, the photographs in the book are just uh, aesthetically uh, gorgeous. Uh, it's an exquisitely uh, designed and uh, the images are fabulous, but I'm curious about two things. Well, a lot, but <laughs> why black and white? And um, what was it like? You, you capture very sort of intimate moments. By intimate, I, I mean uh, contemplatively intimate moments with, with people engaged in various uh, moments of Buddhist uh, practice and disciplines. Um, what was it like? Uh, did you ever feel you were intruding? Did, were you given uh, boundaries? Were you, uh, was there resistance at any time? Because I've, I've been in India a lot, and I've 
been in temples and sometimes you just you want to take out your you know camera and take a picture and you say no i don't think that would be right mm -hmm. and sometimes you get dirty looks mm -hmm. so i'm curious about both those things sure great great questions phil so the first one the black and white my intention is to capture the emotion of this the in situation so it have first of all the image has to speak with me when i'm holding when i'm in an environment it's what is exciting to me what connects with my heart my heart mind so that's that's the first thing that's key the second thing is that when there is color the natural tendency for most of us is to focus in on the color rather than what's going on on the inside so the book is called inner harmony living in balance inner harmony looking on what's going on on the inside so black and white tends to move us away from our natural world and focus more on the emotion in my from my perspective so when i'm exhibiting the inner harmony series regardless of whether it's at a museum or an art gallery anywhere us overseas whatever um, the photographs are usually produced, and I do them myself, as palladium prints. Palladium prints is an old technique from the late 1800s. And rather than with typical digital photography, where the ink is laid onto the surface, with palladium prints, it's 100% cotton paper. You make up a chemical, and you pour it onto the paper and spread it out with a paintbrush. And without getting to all the details, after you go through the developing process, it's impregnated into the paper and it's a much more of an emotional, textural, warm feeling to it. So that's what I wanted to do. Tanoose, the publisher, is well known around the world for, doing, for publishing um, photography books, one of the world's leading publishers. Um, however, they have a, a clientele that follows them that also is interested in color, color photographs. So they asked if I might do at least 20 out of the 220 as color. And that's the reason they're color photographs. I just gave a presentation actually last night to a photography group, but last week also at main media workshops um, online international um, on how to be respectful when photographing in an unfamiliar cultural setting. So that hopefully uh, uh, leads to uh, addressing your second question about being able to photograph. So that's about a two, it was about a two hour presentation last night for the photography group. Um, and basically it really boils down to, I'm embedded into a community and people know that I'm there as a humanitarian, as a volunteer for an extended period of time and also about my artwork. So I get introduced and then I oftentimes go through a very long process of them getting to know me before ever even considering to bring out my camera. And I also start to learn about the culture and the do's and the don'ts and extremely, extremely careful and respectful about those. And it sometimes takes a long, long time to get permission. Sometimes I don't. I also, in the Buddhist tradition, have to have realistic expectations or no expectations. And I may go somewhere and I can tell stories about this where in one month's time, I may get a total of six photographs that I think are worthy of, of, of sharing. 
Uh, I also share the photographs with whatever location I'm photographing for them to use uh, for free. And if there's any photograph I might take that's inappropriate, it's destroyed. Um, I never use flash. I don't use tripods. I'm neutrally dressed in the background, playing with them, horsing around the day before, whatever it is, so they know me. Nothing's posed. Everything is natural. Now, uh, John, uh, when, when you go out, I'm just curious of your process. Do you go out on any given day and think, all right, I'm going to try to get some uh, kids uh, work, uh, playing. I'm going to try to get some uh, monks in a temple. Uh, or do you just go out and explore and see what comes to you? And then once you take it in the book, if you have 200 photos, uh, maybe you took 1,000 photos, maybe 5,000 photos. Uh, what was the selection process like? Sure. Well, first of all, um, I don't go out with an intention of I'm going to shoot a specific thing other mm. than it may be like I've been in Bhutan five times. And when I go to Bhutan, I'm invited in by the government because I'm working in the hospital and I'm there for over a month. Mm -hmm. You try to go as a tourist to Bhutan, you number one, have to have a guide. Number two, you're only allowed to go to certain places. Number three, you're only allowed to be there for 10, maybe they've opened it to 14 days. Um, whereas I'm there, I'm able to go around by myself back to the same locations time after time after time. People get to know me, I know the places to go, I've been introduced. So it's an extended process. So that's really what's, what's involved with that. And it's different in every location, I can tell you, all kinds of stories about mm -hmm. how I end up getting access, which is why I think people consider my photographs so extremely rare. They're not your typical photographs in those locations. And you know, the people, the people, you know, already know me. I forgot what your second uh, question second is. question is what what process what criteria do you use when uh, selecting the you know if, if you have 200 photos in the book. You probably took many, many more. How did you select? Sure. Well, first of all, the way the book came about is I was contacted by someone who um, was involved with publishing Lance uh, Ansel Adams books. Mm -hmm. They saw the work and it was after His Holiness uh, during a private audience, we were holding hands and he encouraged me to um, join him in promoting compassion worldwide. So I've been doing a number of projects. We formed a foundation, the Shades of Compassion Foundation are doing a number of projects. One's a traveling museum exhibition that just has just two of my pieces, but pieces by Ansel Adams, Imogene Cunningham, the world's leading photographers on compassion. But um, the bottom line is that, um, uh, <clears throat> that when, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I have these, um, these opportunities, I'm taking photographs, but in some locations, in most of the situations, I'm in a contemplative mindset. So I'm not taking thousands of photographs. In fact, in some cases, I was at a monastery nunnery retreat in Myanmar, uh, a nine hour drive by bus um, from Yangon um, to this remote forest where there are a thousand of them on the side of this mountain. And I was, everyone was meditating eight and a half hours a day. Mm -hmm. I was taking maybe six shots per hour. So I don't have a lot of photographs to go through, number one, um, despite 
photographing for 23, well, this series, the Inner Harmony series started um, 13 years ago in China. Wow. But um, what ended up happening with Lance, with Ansel Adams group is Lance Heidi, who designed 14 of Ansel Adams' books, he became the book's designer and my agent. And he has a process, the same one he used with Ansel Adams to go through his photographs. Mm -hmm. So we narrowed it down to, I ended up showing him about 1100 photographs and we, that's what we started with. And it was, it was agony getting it down to 220. So we've got tons for other books if and when I have the energy to do one. But um, we kind of broke it down based on what the themes of the 18 chapters would be. And that's how we started narrowing it down and then telling a story in each chapter. Uh, each chapter starts out with a, a short poem by Dr. Paula Arai, who's a PhD Buddhist scholar. She's an exquisite poet. And that's on whatever the subject matter is of that chapter. And then I just have, as you both know, a short um, a sort of a, not an essay, but just an experience, typically one of my experiences that is in some way related to what that chapter is all about. And so it's just trying to tell a narrative story through the photographs pretty much. Uh, John, uh, we should also mention that uh, the book is both in English and German. Uh, um, so our listeners in Berlin and Munich and elsewhere, uh, you can read it in your, in your native tongue. Um, also, uh, you were in uh, the photographs, at least, come from 10 different countries that are predominantly Buddhist. In you then, therefore, had uh, an experience of a wide variety of Buddhist uh, orientations mm -hmm. and practices. Uh, I think people here in America especially uh, think of Buddhism, they think of mindfulness practice. Uh, maybe they think of the Dalai Lama or Zen. Mm -hmm. um, and we have very little exposure to the full breadth and variety mm -hmm. of uh, Buddhist spirituality. Uh, what was that like? What can you say about that uh, breadth of, of practice? And did anything you were exposed to in your travels surprise you? Mm -hmm. Excellent. Excellent questions. Well, first of all, I tend to take a helicopter view of most things. So I try to step back and look at what are the core principles? What are the core values? What is the, what is the main uh, thing that it's, you know, it's being taught to us? And because of that, what it does for me is it helps me see the universal relevance. So core principles in Buddhism, when you get away from, from my perspective, and again, I'm not a scholar, this is all what I've absorbed, core principles, when you get away from the ritual part of it, are fairly similar. And in fact, they're not that much different than other faith traditions. You know, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. I mean, it's the golden rule. Golden rule. And, and it's just a matter of some of the nuances of how people uh, approach that, that can be different. But, but one of the things that was particularly striking to me throughout Asia um, and not just in Buddhism, but in general, is this 
mindset of collectivism. We're all in this together rather than what we see in the United States about the individual, you know, as opposed to the interconnectedness and the synergies and the importance of reliance on each other. So that I think was one of the things that was particularly striking to me, regardless of where throughout Asia I might be. And remember, I'm seeing the underbelly uh, because I'm in the hospitals mm -hmm. and I know what's really going on um, uh, to a certain extent. So I know what's in the mindset of about, are we all in this together and do we treat each other equally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I saw much more of that, not that in the United States that in the medical field, we don't, as doctors and nurses, we don't treat people with, new, with neutrality, but it doesn't permeate through society as much as it does throughout Asia. Um, as an example, in Bhutan, when, um, they had, uh, for those of you, uh, those who don't know Bhutan, it's a landlocked, the only Buddhist kingdom in the world in the Himalayas, 750,000 um, uh, residents. Um, very difficult to get from one town or one city to another. Um, the roads are challenging. When they had enough um, uh, of a stockpile of COVID vaccine a couple of months ago to give the first shot to all of the adults in the whole country. The king of Bhutan, who's the fifth king of Bhutan said, what we're gonna do is we're gonna organize it so that the vaccine is available everywhere at the exact same time for 14 days, okay? And I am not gonna get vaccinated until <clears throat> the 14th day because I wanna make sure that everyone in the kingdom has the opportunity to get vaccinated before I get vaccinated. Wow. <clears throat> in 14 days, 92% of the population was vaccinated. Now, skip forward another couple of months, 98% of the population has had their second vaccine. Wow. So that's a mindset. That's a mindset. And I see that throughout Asia mm -hmm. um, that I don't see as much in the United States. And Buddhism clearly, clearly, and His Holiness is a prime example of we're all in this together. It's very nice. Uh, I have a, maybe a final question from my side. <clears throat> and that is, uh, what do you hope people get out of the book? And mm -hmm. what made you select the photo uh, that you put on the cover? Sure, great questions. Well, I think um, no expectations again. I think it's a matter of people getting immersed in the images and finding narratives that resonate with each individual and then coming back to them and maybe getting a new nuance when maybe it's a different day and the moon is cycle is different, whatever it might be. And just going back and just, just living with the images and living with the stories and living with the poetry and then see where it takes you. And hopefully it will plant some seeds for living in harmony with life balance. Um, we're all on that same journey. None of us is gonna reach the end of a night, very few. Um, it's all about the journey. Um, the reason for the image on the front, that's a great question. 
Um, that piece is called Nurtured. That was taken at a monastery uh, outside of Dhamsala where the Dalai Lama's world headquarters is. And I was sitting with a senior monk one day, I was living there. He had entered the monastery when he was six years of age, the same age as the boy in this photograph. And he invited me to his private quarters and asked, I was asking him a couple of questions. And one of the things I asked him about was, you know, tell me a little bit about your family. After a while, it became clear, he wasn't talking about his biological family. He was talking about the monks that raised him. So this particular picture, um, this particular boy, and remember, I never use artificial light, nothing's posed. Mm -hmm. He and I were hanging out with his friends the day before, they were all scrubby and they were playing cricket and rolling around in the ground, doing push-ups and everything else. We were all kidding around. This was during the beginning of a puja ceremony. So they were all kind of lining up, getting ready to start. And you'll notice that there's a hand on his head. Well, as those uh, would, that have been in Asia know, the, um, the head is where the mind is located, it's a very sacred part of the body. And no one would dare put their hand on a child's head unless they were a close family member. So the fact that this hand is on this boy's head signifies family. You'll also notice that the way the hands are interacting, if everyone, anyone's had a small child right. and they want to walk across the street, it's holding onto the index finger. You also notice there's another hand over his heart, heart mind. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is that we need to expand our view of what we consider family, not just our biological family. And some may have challenges with members of their biological family. You can still be compassionate toward them, but you don't got to have to get sucked into their agony. <laughs> you can find <clears throat> brothers and sisters outside of your biological family. <clears throat> That's the way we should view family expanded view of what family is. So this particular image is supposed to be significant of the concept of how do we view family? What is our collective society? That includes animals, that includes the environment, that includes whatever might be past that from a, a, a spiritual perspective and otherwise. John, you have um, at least two uh, areas of uh, expertise. Very few of our listeners uh, are going to attempt surgery, but we all photograph. <clears throat> we all have cameras in our pockets now. And um, in my experience, I have found that when I am thinking of uh, taking pictures, even in my own amateurish way, um, there's something about the process that enriches the experience of where I am because there's something about looking and framing and all that. On the other hand, mm -hmm. the okay. impulse to take pictures all the time can be a distraction. I've been to museums in the last five or 10 years and been absolutely mind-boggled <laughs> by people who just walk around taking pictures of the of the paintings and never stop to look at them and um, pose in front of them when I'm trying to <laughs> enjoy the, the experience. So tell us something, you know, advise us about the, the use of our cameras 
to enhance experience as opposed to being a distraction from direct experience? Good question. Yeah, it's a matter of mindset and objectives. Um, there's nothing wrong with um, someone whose only objective is to document the moment. That's their right, assuming they don't get in the way of someone else. <laughs> they, um, but the reality also is, in my opinion, that a lot of people, and I may be too harsh in saying sleepwalk through life, never really um, enriching their experience or even um, thinking about where do I really obtain value in my life? What are my main values? And how do I navigate through life with uh, guided by my values? So this is what gets into, and I've given presentations ad nauseum on life balance. Um, I'm also a, a, a trained integrative medicine health coach through Duke University. Um, and I think that if people don't understand what their values are clearly, then making decisions as they go throughout the day can be challenging because we're constantly distracted. However, once one knows what their values are, then they're able to make priorities. What are the priorities in their life? What are they going to really focus on the most? And then once they know their values and their priorities, then they can make decisions which we make thousands of times throughout the day. Do I wanna spend that extra time doing X, Y, or Z? How much of that exhibition do I wanna see? Do I wanna come back multiple times? Do I wanna just um, be absorbed for 20 minutes with one image and go into depth? Is that gonna nurture me in some way versus, okay, check that one off the list. So when people go, on trips to other countries or whatever, a lot of them are these whirlwind tours. Yeah, I've been to the XXXXX country, but did you, were you really there? No. So I think it really comes back to setting boundaries, um, um, priorities and focus, which Buddhism is very good about teaching focus and seeing things clearly, having realistic expectations. So, um, that's one of the things, again, that I talk about all the time. And I have this, this thing I go through with people, the 24 stone rule of um, consider each stone one hour in your day and put those into categories of how much do I spend on sleep? Sleep, by the way, is the cornerstone of good physical and emotional health. And if you don't get seven to eight to nine hours, you're, 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 you're behind before you even get started. But if people would, would take the time to decide how much of their time are they really spending that are related to what their priorities are, they would see that a lot of their time is wasted. Not that we don't need downtime, but a lot of it's wasted. And could I potentially take one of those stones and cut, cut it into quarters and take 15 minutes twice a week to do something that I kept saying I was going to do and was important to me, but I never did. Um, so there are all these different things that are important and as we navigate, whether it's through a museum setting or anywhere else. And Phil, any uh, final questions? No, I want to thank John for being with us. I want to um, encourage everybody to get his book and use it in a contemplative way. You want to hold it up again, John, and uh, 
Yeah, and one, one more comment. Um, so the proceeds that I receive from book sales, again, this gets to synergies and why am I doing what I'm doing, go to two nonprofits, 50% to one and 50% to the other. The first one is C learning, social, emotional, and ethical learning through Emory University that was uh, uh, the Dalai Lama um, was very um, instrumental in starting that. And it um, teaches compassion and ethics to children around the world, K through 12. It's a free program. The other half goes to a nonprofit that empowers disadvantaged women. So people should know that this is all part of the synergy of the things that I'm trying to do. There are still some books available on Amazon. It's almost sold out. There's another shipment coming from Europe that'll get here, but maybe not for another month to six weeks, depending on how the ships are going. People, People are also, by all means, welcome to contact me directly if they have you know, questions or they want some mentoring, which I do for free about their photography or about life balance, all those things that can be reached through my website, colkinphotography.com. There's an inquiry uh, section there. So people are welcome to get in touch with me. Um, I'm trying to make myself available with balance um, uh, to people. If there are organizations that would like me to uh, speak, um, I'm more than happy to do that. Um, and whatnot. We'll have all of that information posted. And I guarantee uh, anyone who gets the book, they will go through it many times because uh, uh, it's fascinating and their photos. And I think uh, when you look at great photos like that, uh, you learn a lot about yourself Mm -hmm. and you learn about uh, where you are on your own journey as you look at it month after month, year after year. And so uh, I highly, highly recommend. I would add um, that we're recording this um, a few weeks before it will be posted. So John's um, estimate of when books will be available may be even closer than... uh, We'll have all that posted up, yeah. Okay, thank you again, John. Best of luck with all your wonderful work. And... uh, Let's all take away the message of being compassionate. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Take Thank you. care. Yeah.